Anyway, today we're looking at the first 12 verses of John chapter 2. Now, you might think it's all about grog, uh, but it's not. Yes, it's about a miracle. Uh, Jesus did plenty of those things. But yes, it is actually about him, uh, not necessarily about the miracle or about grog. It's amazing that so many Christians uh, today believe in Jesus because of what he might do for them, uh, rather than simply believe in him. And there is such a difference. I hope in our journey with him is becoming more about in than for. That is more about him uh, than me. Well, our three points today, like usual, and no fancy intro, I ran out of time. <laughs> uh, this is also the first of what many have decided is seven, uh, the perfect Jewish number of very clear miracles uh, in the, this gospel. It's all about turning water into wine, or, as I said, is it really about that? The first thing I want us to reflect on is this, and it's... We see here that those closest to Jesus now know what he can do. Now know what he can do. I guess there was a point when people, especially Jesus' own family, started realising that he was very special. That he could do things that others could not. I don't know when it was, but it would have been. Uh, please have a look at the first four verses of John chapter 2. On the third day, uh, we won't worry about that bit, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Basically, that's where they were heading. Uh, compare verse 43 of the previous chapter. Uh, Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, uh, they have no more wine. A uh, woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. Now I think Jesus' mother must have thought that Jesus could do something about this problem. Hence his response. I don't think it was just a comment by her. And that is why I've said that there must have come a point when those closest to Jesus, especially his own family, uh, in this case Mary, his mother, knew what he could do. But it does seem to us today that his comment to his mum was a little disrespectful. And also, what does it mean when he says that his hour has not yet come? Well, the first bit about being disrespectful is pretty obvious uh, when one reads a little further on. First, if you have a look at the bottom of the page in most Bibles, there is a comment about verse 4. And it basically says that the original Greek word for woman, which is gunai, does not denote any disrespect. <laughs> also, when one looks at John chapter 19, verse 26, as you would, <laughs> uh, when Jesus is on the cross, he says the very same word for his mum. That is, Woman, or good night. And he is telling his mum that the person who will look after her is now going to be the disciple, John. And I might add that Jesus is not 
just fully a man. He's also fully God. And so at what point does he stop perhaps saying things like, I'm guessing you said this last week, Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> now some would say that uh, maybe at the age of 12 or 13, when one does their bar mitzvah, compare Luke 2. As Craig mentioned last week, Jesus is much older here. Uh, he's certainly an adult by now, and maybe around 30 years old. And he is also fully God. Well, that is the first bit. Jesus is certainly not being disrespectful here. But what about the second bit? My hour has not yet come. What does he mean by this? And he doesn't say time. One would expect that, wouldn't you? One would expect that he might say something like, it isn't the right time yet. But he doesn't. He says, hour. My hour has not yet come. Amazingly, Jesus is already talking about his death and rising here. Yes, he is already talking about it. His mum is basically saying to him that they've run out of wine at this wedding reception. Be a good guest to invite along, wouldn't he? <laughs> and you, no doubt, can do something about it. Yes, Jesus almost cryptically says, my hour has not yet come. That is, my death and rising is yet to come. And I guess that Jesus knew that if he does something now, it might bring it on all too quickly. Compare a little later on in verse 24. And why did I say he's referring to his death, that is crucifixion, and rising exaltation? Because that is what the word hour, when Jesus uses it, means in this gospel. For example, in John chapter 13, which is all about the washing of the uh, disciples' feet, Jesus says right at the beginning that he knew the hour had come for him to leave the world and go back to his father. John 13, 1. And later on in John chapter 17, uh, which is Jesus' longest recorded prayer, he says once again right at the beginning, Father, the hour has come. John 17, 1. And that was just before he was arrested. So that is why hour means that. But in saying all of that, we do see here that those closest to Jesus now know what he can do and so call on him for help and not, to help, not, and not help to drive to Dan Murphy's. <laughs> no Dan Murphy's back then. And no cars either. <laughs> the second thing we see is this. Uh, we see here that Jesus can do more than we sometimes imagine. More than we sometimes imagine. Now like uh, last Wednesday morning in our leadership meeting, I need to also tell you about the time uh, that my year at Bible College was faced with this passage. You see, the lecturer asked us our thoughts on John chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. And uh, most of the comments were about the massive amount of wine that had now changed from water. Uh, like there were six stone water jars. 
each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. That's like 500, I've done the sums, 500 to 700 litres of what became wine. That's the equivalent of 900 bottles of wine. 900. <laughs> That's a lot of grog. That's a lot. Where are you, Glenn? That's a lot of wine fridges. <laughs> yes, most of our comments were about this. And our lecturer got annoyed <laughs> with us and said something like, don't you know that when reading John's Gospel, the physical description of things is a metaphor for something spiritual, something very important? Like, for example, he said, you'll keep getting it wrong if you think that born again in the next chapter means you must enter your mother's womb for a second time. Yes, that is wrong. It's all about one being born again spiritually. Or take, for example, when Jesus says, I am the gate, John chapter 10, 9. It's obviously, he doesn't mean that is a chunk of wrought iron. No, spiritually, he is a gate. And one cannot be saved, live eternally, unless one comes to the Father through him. Yes, he got very annoyed <laughs> with our comments because we expressed that we only understood things physically. But what was going on here was something far more important. And so, yes, it is a lot of wine. But then some wedding receptions went for a week back then. And yes, these six containers were filled to the brim, verse 7. And yes, it was a very, very good wine, the best, verse 10. But what was this very important miracle or sign actually spiritually signifying? Well, it would have been spiritually signifying who Jesus really is. Like, who can do this sort of stuff? You can't. I can't. But this guest can. As I keep saying, what a wonderful guest to have at, your <laughs> at any party. And his mother knew he could do it. Now, I must admit that I don't know the full extent of what this sign is supposed to signify, but it does reveal to us it is a sign that this is no ordinary person. And so one is left wondering if this could be the one that God said he would send one day. After all, what has happened is a miracle and it is so lavish like it isn't just one of the stone jars that had water filled in it and it then turned to wine. It's all six. And they weren't just half filled. They were all filled to the brim. And the water didn't just turn into an ordinary wine, perhaps like clean skins. It turned into wine what is described in your NIV 2011 as the best, verse 10. Like, 
Was this what God promised he would one day do? Something new? Something far-reaching? Something glorious? Something that has been prophesied about, such as in Joel chapter 2, also read by Steph? Like, was this what that was actually happening right in front of their eyes, in their very midst? And John in his gospel wants us to conclude, yes, 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 and yes. He is revealing God's glory. And people are now believing in him. Verse 11. As I said at the start of this point, we see that Jesus can do more than we sometimes imagine. They just needed a bit more grog. He showed them much, much more. He showed them who he really is and what he'd come to spiritually do. And therefore, he started to reveal his glory and therefore he got people to believe in him. You could say Jesus quenched their spiritual thirst as well, not just their physical thirst. Friends, may we not fall for what Jesus can physically do for us. He does much more than just that. Much, much more. And therefore, truly believe in him. Uh, my third point does reflect the physical. I therefore hope my lecturer would not be too annoyed with me <laughs> saying this. Uh, one cannot deny that yes, Jesus is fully God and fully man. And yes, he is, the one, uh, he is the one God said he would send and therefore is doing something remarkable and new, but he, like his father, also abundantly provides our daily bread. And sometimes even when we don't ask for it. Yes, we're sadly well-trained or accustomed at taking things for granted, <laughs> aren't we? And what is this third point? It's this, simple one. We see here that Jesus is compassionate. Yes, he could have just said to his mother, my hour has not yet come. And I also know what people are like. And not done a single thing. But he does a thing. And what a thing at that. Yes, I think he is very compassionate, both to his mother's wish and to the people at the wedding reception, let alone the master of the banquet, the servants and the bride and groom and their families. Yes, he comes across to me as someone that although he didn't want to, in the end he couldn't help but help. <laughs> and when I read elsewhere in the Holy Scriptures and the Gospels in the New Testament, he regularly has compassion on people. Yes, he regularly provides for them. That's what he is like. And I suppose that is part and parcel when one is focused on the needs of others. That is when one is loving. Yes, when one is loving, one is also compassionate. 
I find it amazing, and I guess you do too, that just before Jesus died on that rugged cross, he was still thinking of others. That is, compassionate and therefore loving. Like, if that was me, I, I think I would be saying to my father to hammer them for doing this. But not with Jesus. As he died on the rugged cross, he was concerned for his mother and told her that John the disciple would look after her. And he also tells John, the disciple, to take her into his home. John chapter 19, verse 26 and verse 27. And that was all amongst his dying breaths. Yes, compassionate with a capital C. Yes, he was full of it. Compassion. What are you full of? What am I full of? Well, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. Psalm 145 verse 8. And that is the image, uh, the character, you could say, that we as a follower of Jesus are being returned to now. So in what ways are we being pushed to be compassionate? I guess we aren't being pushed to provide further grog for a celebration. But what areas of life are we being pushed to show compassion? Uh, for Sue and me, uh, we need to show compassion. That is help in very practical ways to a family whose dad has liver cancer. As you probably know, I'm not, yes, not the most touchy-feely guy. <laughs> but I can help them in some very practical ways. So what is it for you? And talking about compassion, we might simply need to press into him, into Jesus, concerning something going on in our life at the moment. We might simply need to trust in his provision. I guess we also need to, as a church family at NHA here, uh, for example, to, as to where we meet, therefore, at the end of this year. Uh, hence, a building fund has now been established. Yes, it would, should be a, a great comfort to us knowing that the one we trust in for the much bigger things is also the one who is compassionate and can provide more than we sometimes imagine. And only God, that is Jesus, can do that. Yes, what a beautiful name is Jesus. He's not just our Lord and Saviour. He is our beautiful Lord and our beautiful Saviour. So please stand and let us sing what a beautiful name. Thanks, Craig. Craig's coming, Jenny, this time. Thanks, Craig.